Thank you, Martha, for this beautiful poem. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a short prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the peace and the rest that is brought to us through the Sabbath. We know, Lord, that this is a very special day. You separated it from the rest of the week, and you want to bless us. You want to send your Spirit to teach us to go deep in the study of the sanctuary. And as we study this topic, please give us a humble heart and give us an open mind. Give us a a willingness in our hearts that we would follow your directions. And please bless us as we open your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think is the main topic of the New Testament? I remember we listened to a graduation speech some time ago that was at Loma Linda University. And uh, the person who gave this speech had his son graduated with the graduates. So it was, a, it was a very special time for the father. And he chose a topic which was very interesting to me. It was the main thing. What is the main thing in your life? That was his topic. And somewhere in the speech he included a sentence which I wrote down, and it says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) That was a kind of funny sentence, but I I believe there is some kind of truth to this, this statement. So when you think about the main thing, you need to keep it the main thing in order to guide your mind and to think all the time on the main thing. So what is the main thing in the Bible? Well, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews 8, and verses 1 and 2. This is Hebrews chapter 8 and verses 1 and 2. And it says, now this is the main point or the main thing of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. So what is the main thing? Apostle Paul is saying that the main point of the things, or the main thing, is that we have a high priest. Where is this high priest? 
is not in Rome. Not in Rome. The high priest is serving up in heaven, in a heavenly sanctuary, or a heavenly temple, or a tabernacle, if you will, thinking of the Old Testament. But to me, it was the first uh, thing I noticed in this sentence that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the high priest was not seated while he was serving. So the first thing we need to consider by just looking at and analyzing these two verses, that what is really Jesus doing up in heaven? Or when you think about his ministry as a high priest, is he doing exactly the same thing as the high priest did in this world? Or in his person, does he combine more than one type of ministry? Because he's serving in a temple which was erected by God, not by man. But at the same time, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you think about the book of Revelation, we, we are studying the book of Revelation. It's, it's a difficult study. But if you, in your mind, go back to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, what do you find there? God the Father is sitting on a throne and there is a scroll in his right hand. Nobody can open the scroll. And so John starts crying. And he was weeping, he was crying, he was almost complaining that What is going to happen? Nobody is able to open this sealed scroll. And finally there was somebody, just one in the whole universe, who could open this scroll and break all seven seals. And there was somebody who is both a lion in the lamb. So he has a dual nature. Can it be that in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, you will find another description of his dual nature? So he is a high priest, but at the same time he's seated at the right hand of the Father which gives us an understanding that he is a king. But in biblical times, the king should never become the high priest, and a high priest should never become a king. 
So how is it that in the ministry of Jesus these two offices or two ministries are combined? Because what we have in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, if you think about the sanctuary service, was just a shadow or a copy of the original. So what we find in the ministry or the service of the high priest was a little different from the ministry of Jesus. Because in his person, he is the king of the universe, but he is the only high priest. And there is another Bible verse. If you turn to the next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 9, and I'm reading verses 24 to 28, that gives us another angle or another perspective of this service. Hebrews 9, and beginning in verse 24. It says, For Christ has not entered the holy places, please note this plural, places, made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear, and please remember this term, appear, this is a key term, to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. Then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, He will appear, appear again, a second time apart from sin for salvation. So what is the difference between the earthly temple service and the heavenly? Well, Paul is saying that Jesus did not go, he did not enter an earthly holy place or places. Places that are made with hands. And those are the copies of the true. Or if you drop to verse 10, I mean chapter 10 verse 1, it says that the shadow of the good things to come. But this is something that Jesus is doing right now up in heaven. That he appears in the presence of God for us. Like the high priest appeared in the presence just before the Shekinah in the most holy place. But he is not appearing as the high priest repeatedly appeared 
every year with the blood of another, which means a blood of an animal. But he did he did it once with his own blood, sacrificing himself. So if you think about that, he is not simply the high priest, but he is the sacrifice. So he is the king, he is the high priest, and now he is the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself. And in his body, he carried the sacrifice, but at the same time, the office of the high priest. And he also was seated at the right hand of the Father as a king. And the Bible says that he appeared. He appeared there just once. And then it says he did not suffer very often. But once at the end of the ages he appeared to put away the sin. So when he came in a human form, he appeared again just once to remove all the sins, to show an atonement for sin. But he will appear again, second time, for those who are eagerly waiting for him. So if you think about these few verses, the whole plan of salvation is in a nutshell. Can we say that the sanctuary service just by itself is the plan of salvation in a nutshell? Yeah, you don't believe me. But then believe uh, the gift of prophecy. I I have a quotation here from uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 358. 358. It says, thus in the ministration, or the ministry, we would say now, of the tabernacle and of the temple that afterward took its place, the people were taught each day the great truth relative to Christ's death and ministration or ministry. And once each year their minds were carried forward to the closing events of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. The final purification of the universe from sin and sinners. Isn't that beautiful that in a nutshell in the ministry of the tabernacle or the temple... They were taught every day of the ministry of Jesus as a sacrifice. But once a year, or once each year, their minds were carried forward to the closing events of the great controversy between Christ and and Satan, the final purification of the universe from sin and sinners. So what is the main thing? The main thing is that if we understand the sanctuary service, we understand everything. I mean, limited 
everything. Speaking in human terms. We would not comprehend everything, but we would have a brief description of the whole plan of salvation. Which is, in other words, the great controversy between Satan and then Jesus. And of course, the question which we should raise, and I will not answer fully today because of time limitation, but this is why I was planning on a series of, of sermons. What was the purpose of the earthly sanctuary? What was the main thing in the sanctuary service? You would say the ministry of the high priest. Is it correct? That was all? I think there is more. It's more to add to this. And so we will move to, to the Bible verse. Um, Robbie was reading. And this is, this is what we, what we need to study for a few weeks, I believe. For a few weeks. One verse. Exodus. Please go with me or come with me to Exodus 25. And then verse 8. It's a well-known Bible verse, but when I started reading other translations, Bible translations, English translations, uh, different from the New King James or the King James Bible, then I discovered something very interesting. This is Exodus 25 and verse 8. And let them make me... A sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them who are them make me who is me. Who is talking to whom? A sanctuary that I who is I, may dwell among them who are them. And, and one more question. Where this, this dialogue takes place? If you look at the chapter, this is about Mount Sinai, on the top of the a mountain, where Moses is spending 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights, not eating. God is declaring the Ten Commandments, but he is giving instructions how to build a sanctuary. And the purpose of this sanctuary is written or said in this one sentence that make me, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. In the English translation, it doesn't really come out. 
but it's a difficult sentence to translate. So I, I had to read an article about the Hebrew text of this verse, and um, I read this whole study about 50-something pages. It was very interesting. But before I read that, I mean, just the main thing for you. <laughs> but um, I, I consulted with other English translations. Very, very instructive. So what I read, that let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, is the King James as well as the New King James. Exactly the same translation. There's no difference. The New Revised Standard Version says, Have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. A little difference. The New American Standard Bible says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. And finally, the NIV says, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Which one is the good one? Which one is the main thing? Well, seemingly there is is not... Of a, of a much, much difference. Just a few, few words, short words. But when it comes to the Hebrew, and of course the Greek, as you probably know that uh, in around 300 BC, there was an, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. We call it the Septuagint. And uh, as I was reading this this uh, article, it was very interesting how the person gave us an English translation of the Hebrew. It says, you will make me a sanctuary, so I will appear among you. That's the Hebrew And the Greek is translation is almost the same. You shall make me a sanctuary, and I will appear among you. The interesting point is that not they make the sanctuary, but you. Second is that I will appear among you. So if you read this, these, these verses beginning with, uh, with Exodus, if you go back a little bit, Exodus 20 or, or 19, we, we have no time to read all these chapters, but if you have time, please read these because that's the big picture. That's the context, the big context, beginning with chapter 19 when, um, Moses is called by God to go up to the mountain. And as you know, chapter 20 is about the Ten Commandments. And there's some other laws beginning with chapter 1. Like civil laws, then moral laws, and the Sabbaths, 
chapter 23, then three annual feasts, then um, verse 24 is talking about Moses and the 70 elders, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and Joshua, of course. And then uh, verse uh, chapter 25 is talking about uh, the sanctuary itself, the, the, the ark, and of course all, all the pieces of furniture and the tabernacle itself. If you go to chapter 25 all the way, it describes everything, 26, 27, and the offerings. If you look at all these chapters, we have no time to read them, but this, this is a very detailed description of the service, I mean the temple itself, which was a tent, and then the service there, all the pieces of furniture, and all the feasts. And then if you, if you move to chapter 25, this is the concentration, consecration, Consecration for the ministry. Consecration of, of Aaron. And the daily offerings. And then the chapter 30 is about the altar of incense. And if you go to chapter 31 at the end, God is naming those two people who would build this beautiful, magnificent, magnificent temple or tabernacle. But what happened? What happened there? If you go to chapter 32, this is still part of the big picture. Because Moses is still on the top of the mountain. He's still listening to God He's receiving the Ten Commandments. He's receiving instructions how to build the temple, what kind of services will be there, how to uh, ordain the priest to the service, and so on. But in chapter 32, there is something happening. And he's still up on the top of the mountain. I'm, I'm reading the first 12 verses because this is very interesting in this context. Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods. That shall go before us for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Did Moses bring them up out of Egypt? I don't think so. But there was in their mind this man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know 
what has happened of him. So there is something went wrong. And Aaron said to them, Break of the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. What was this? So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What a confusion! Confusion. Who brought them out of Egypt? Wasn't it God? And and now they are saying, Moses, this this man, we don't really know him because he, he simply has, has left us. He's been up in the mountain for 40 days and we don't know what's happening to him. And now they are making a golden idol. And they are saying that This is the God who brought you out of Egypt. What was this? It's a complete confusion in their minds. Do you think they were ready to build a temple for God? I don't think so. But still God said that you make, you will make, and this is why the Hebrew is interesting. That you will make a sanctuary for me. Then I will appear among you. But let's read the rest of this story, which is very, very uh, sad in one sen- sense, but on the other, other hand, very instructive. This is a great lesson behind. So they said, this is verse 4, This is your God, O Israel that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Think about that. He did not simply make the idol, because that's what he did first. But then he built an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Who was that Lord? Feast to the Lord? Then they rose early on the next day. Moses is still on the top of the mountain. Then they rose early on the next day offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. Peace offerings? What kind of peace was that? And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Is that worship? Is that the purpose of a worship? 
to eat and drink and play. And seeing that we don't know what happened to Moses, he brought us out of Egypt. They forgot, forgot God. Moses brought, brought us up out of Egypt. And now they are making an idol. They are building an altar in front of the idol. They are sacrificing. And they are saying that this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Moses is still on the top of the mountain. And he just heard from God that you will make a sanctuary for me. And I will appear among you. But it doesn't look like that God was about to appear among them. Something else appeared among them. And let's, re- let's read the rest of this interesting story. And the Lord, and the Lord did not do anything up to this point. Moses didn't know anything about what's going on down at the, f- at the foot of the hill. He was up on the top. And the Lord, who knew everything, <laughs> he, he told him, Moses, it's better, better to go down and, and, and take a look at what's going on. Go get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt? You brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves Sells a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you, make of you a great nation. What was that? Moses had no idea what was going on. God knew everything, and he said, Moses, it's better to get moving, go down, get down, and, and, and look at your people. You brought them out of the land of Egypt. What was that? God knew that he brought them out of Egypt. And now he's saying that you, Moses, brought them out of Egypt. Was was something confused there? Some confusion there? And finally God said that there is an option that if you let my wrath burn hot against them 
I may consume or destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Hmm. What kind of offer was that? Some hundreds of years before God said something about uh, Abraham. And God promised that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And now it seems that God is changing something. And he's saying to Moses, Forget what happened to Abraham. Just let me destroy these people. They are stiff-necked people. I destroy them and I will make you, or out of you, or of you, a great nation. What would you do if you were in a situation like this? Would you say, God, I'm here. Do whatever you wish. They deserve destruction because they are idol worshippers, like the Egyptians. They haven't learned anything. You just gave me an instruction how to build a beautiful tabernacle, described all the services, and you expressed that You want to appear among us? But it seems that they did not understand a thing. Well, there are two more verses. I'd like to read those two verses, and we probably need to to, um, stop there. How, How did Moses respond to God's plan. Verse 11 says, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you, listen to the words, you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And then he continued on saying that remember Abraham and so on. Verse 14 is interesting. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. What is this? How do you think this whole service would really start after all these discussions? God is saying that, Moses, you brought them out of Egypt. You will build a temple for me. I will appear among you. And now God is saying, no, 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 no. 
I need to change the whole thing. I have to destroy these people. And I have to make you a great nation. And of course the plan, who is going to build the temple? Who is going to be the high priest? And this is the first time, not the last time, the first time when Moses started pleading. And you remember the story of Abraham and Lot? Abraham was pleading for the life of Lot. That if there is at least ten in the city, ten, you would not destroy the city. And now Moses is pleading with God and he's saying, if you destroy these people, my people, what would the Egyptians say? God brought them out of our land to the desert just to destroy them. But God is saying, you will build a sanctuary for me and I will appear among you. So where is the plan? And it seems that Moses was successful in his negotiation, if you will. Because he said, what would the Egyptians and maybe other pagan nations say? What happened to these people? They claimed to be God's people, but they are stiff-necked people. What do you think about ourselves? Are we two stiff-necked people time to time? Where God said, I need to destroy these people. I want you to become a great nation. And that's where we need to stop and think. Moses did not accept this plan. He did not. He said, Lord, this plan is is not the best. To say the least, it's not the best. Remember Abraham. I have not read this verse, but it's right there. Remember Abraham, you made a promise to Abraham. How would you fulfill the promise? And so he was kind of suggesting that please relent. Turn from your fierce wrath. This is the end of verse 12. Uh, and relent from this harm to your people. Then he continues on remembering Abraham and so on. And it happened because verse 14 says, So the Lord relented from the harm which he said 
he would do to his people. So God did not destroy the people. Well, we need to stop here, come back in two weeks, by God's grace. But let me read you something. Two more Bible verses, at least part of the verses. This is 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8. I'm just reading verse 27. And then drop to verse 30. This is a new temple. King Solomon is dedicating a new temple. This is a permanent place. It's not a tabernacle anymore. This is a different one. It's beautiful. And then in his prayer, he's saying something. Verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Solomon was a smart man. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. So what is he saying here? Where is God going to dwell? If the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, how is it possible that this temple, he said, which I have built, how can God dwell there? Drop to verse 30. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Here in heaven, your dwelling place. Not the tabernacle. Heaven. And when you hear, forgive Can we say that God had a purpose with the temple? But since Israel became a group of idol worshippers, this whole plan was changed. And it was all about forgiveness. rather than simply the presence of God. And it seems to me that King Solomon understood something. And he said, the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, much less this building. But when we come to pray, you would be there and you would forgive them. What do you think Moses was asking for? Please forgive them. And he said, please relent 
this plan. You want to destroy them? What would other people say? What kind of God they would perceive after this? And so he said, why don't you be merciful to these people? And we will come back to another discussion later on in the following chapters when he said that if you want to destroy these people, I'd like to be destroyed first. And and just blot out of my name from your book. But protect these people. Save them. Forgive them. So this is a beautiful story about forgiveness. And we need to understand something that the sanctuary service service's main purpose was forgiveness, wasn't it? It was not simply a feast. It was not simply a sanctuary where they had some very delicate kind of ministry with strange pieces of furniture. But it was a place for forgiveness. And and the last Bible verse, I promised you two Bible verses. This was one. The last, this is really the last one. And I ask for your forgiveness because we are a little, <laughs> going a little over. Uh, uh, we move to the New Testament. Just uh, fast forward to the New Testament. John, the Gospel of John, my favorite gospel. And then chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and the word... And verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's God. It's about God. So we can, we can read the verse, and the Word, or, and the, and, and God became flesh. And what did He do? The world among us, exactly the same wording, as you find in Exodus 25, verse 8. I will dwell among you, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Is the sanctuary service about truth? Or is that service about grace? Or both? And if you think about Jesus, did he bring the sanctuary in his own body to this world? So can we say that God dwelt among us in his person. And later on in the Gospel of John, he said that destroy this temple and I will build it up in three days. And then John is making a short, silent comment that he was talking about his body. He was not talking about the temple. 
has been, been built, not finished yet, for decades at that time. But in his own body, he was the temple. And so this is a very, very deep and very rewarding study, I believe. We can all learn from this. The main thing is to keep keep the main thing, the main thing. And if that's the main thing, we should never forget it. That God is showing mercy in his sanctuary. He's a great God and the heavens cannot contain him. How much less a physical temple here or a church building like this. But if we come here and we make our supplications, our prayers, King Solomon was asking for forgiveness. Please forgive them. He's asking for the same thing as Moses. Moses was asking. Forgive them. And so we will learn a lot about forgiveness. We will learn a lot about uh, the person of Jesus. We will learn a lot about the service as was for the purpose of showing God's presence. And although it was a limited presence, it was still God's presence. And we, we just marvel, I personally marvel how great our God is, that he is willing to limit himself. And he restrained himself from destroying us and giving us mercy and forgiveness. So may God bless us as we continue with this study. Amen.